It's time for your best legal defense with your host, Lonnie McDowell. This could be the most important hour of your entire week. Our program discusses the criminal defense and legal system and what it can mean to you. Lonnie and his guest experts will discuss cases that are groundbreaking and important to today's law and court system, from arrest to bail. We know you have questions about the law, and we're here to answer those too. Now, here's trial attorney and host, Lonnie McDowell. Good morning, and welcome to your best legal defense. This week, we're going to be discussing the Fourth Amendment and your rights. Now, the Constitution through the Fourth Amendment protects people from unreasonable searches and seizures by the government. However, it's not a guarantee against all searches, but only those that are deemed unreasonable under the law. Particular types of searches uh, in considering reasonableness in the eye of the law is determined by basically balancing two important interests, the intrusion on the individual's Fourth Amendment rights and the legitimate government interests, such as public safety. It gets to be very complicated once you actually start uh, trying to analyze it as to how uh, reasonable or unreasonable a search is and when police officers uh, can actually uh, stop, detain you, and search or arrest you. So this week, my guest is uh, Casey McBroom from Cadian uh, LLP Law Firm. She practices white collar and criminal defense matters. Uh, good morning, Casey. How are you doing? Good morning, Lonnie. I'm well. Thank you for having me. Great. Oh, thanks for coming on. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and uh, then we can get this right into the uh, topic. Sure thing. Um, I started uh, as a state or a county public defender in San Bernardino. So I'm sort of the junkyard dog of Katie and LLP and <laughs> how I got my beginnings. Um, it was a great place to learn. I mean, you're in the trenches, so um, you're in trial right away, uh, litigating right away, and that's where I tried my first cases. Um, and then I moved on to a boutique firm in Los Angeles where I was doing more high-profile white-collar crimes, um, securities fraud, insider trading, so now I'm practicing both uh, a wide array of white-collar crime and, you know, your typical street crimes. And I have um, filed and argued a number of Fourth Amendment motions called 1538.5 motions in criminal defense lingo. Right. And that's challenging uh, evidence on uh, violations of the Fourth Amendment, correct? Cor- correct. Right. And okay. uh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, just for our listeners, uh, you said you uh, also do some white-collar crime. Uh, some people may not know exactly what that entails. So what is exactly white-collar crime versus regular street crime? It's, typically, it's fraud. Typically, it's something like health care fraud, um, filing false claims, embezzlement, insider trading, uh, wire fraud, so using the Internet or the mail to commit some type of fraud. Um, so like credit card fraud, things of that sort? Credit card fraud, obstruction of justice would be basically lying to federal officers. Um, oh, so Martha Stewart. <laughs> Martha Stewart. Where it's, you, you can't lie to a FBI agent, but uh, you won't be arrested for lying to a state cop, interestingly. Okay. So today we want to talk about, uh, you know, your Fourth Amendment rights and your right against unreasonable search and seizure. And I think the, the key word there is unreasonable, correct? That's right. And that's open to wide, wide, wide interpretation. 
Right. And, uh, you know, at least as a criminal defense attorney, you know, my opinion is, is we've eroded that right over the years uh, by giving more and more exceptions to it. And we'll, we'll get into that. Um, but you have to have, according to the court, to uh, challenge search procedure, you basically have to have a legitimate expectation of privacy, correct? Right. The magic word are legitimate expectation of privacy, which would mean you're, you have a legitimate expectation of privacy in your own person. So a detention is considered a seizure. Um, and in your personal belongings, your car, your home, your purse, uh, your suitcase, you would not have standing in a search of, to, to challenge the search of someone else's car, someone else's home, or someone else's belongings, okay. even, even if the if, objects seized belong to you. Okay. How about if, you, if you're a passenger uh, in a car, you said you don't, but it's someone else's car, do you have standing then? You would only have standing to challenge the search of your belongings in the car, your purse, your backpack but not in the car. Okay, I mean, not even your, you know, uh, immediate area, per se. That's, <laughs> if <laughs> the officer, well, that's a dicey area. If, if the officer, the officer will oftentimes use, um, you know, police safety, and you mentioned that, um, officer safety is one of the things that's balanced in determining whether or not they can search a particular area. And if the officer has reason to believe there is a safety issue, could absolutely search in the wingspan um, of the driver and the passenger of the car. Right. Now, uh, car searches have, have changed a little bit. It, it used to be wingspan, but that, that law has changed, correct? That's right. It, they can search. Well, let me get to the officer can search a car without a warrant. Um, for various purposes. I mean, obviously, one is probable cause. So if, um, if, for instance, you're pulled over and the officer smells marijuana and the people in the car are exhibiting signs of being under the influence, can then do a search of the passenger compartment, do a search of the inside of the car. Um, they can do it to search for identification. Um, obviously, their search would be limited to where identification would likely be found. So that could be your wallet, your purse, your glove compartment, the inner console, basically anywhere in the inside of the vehicle. Um, if they see something in plain view, they could do a search of the vehicle. So, for instance, if they see a gun or an illicit substance on the seat um, or on the floor of the car, they can then search the car. Um, they can search for officer safety, as I mentioned. They can also search incident to a lawful arrest. So if they arrest anyone in the vehicle, they can search the inside of the vehicle. Um, they claim that's for officer safety. Um, but the one that's really interesting and is sort of a catch-all is an inventory check of the vehicle. And I've seen this happen a lot with DUI arrests. So you have a client who's arrested for driving under the influence and the car is seized by law enforcement. Um, and taken to impound. But before they do that, they do what's called an inventory check of the car under the guise of, well, we don't want to be accused of taking anything out of the car that we shouldn't have when we took the car into our possession. And oftentimes they'll find an illicit substance or a weapon during that inventory check, which leads to further charges. Mm -hmm. So there are a number of ways they can search the car without a warrant. 
Right. And, and, you know, with the vehicle code the way it is, there's so many pretextual stops that are available, you know, tinted windows or you, you, uh, you know, didn't come to a complete stop or, you know, as, as you know, I've said to, to many of my clients, you know, the vehicle code of California is thicker than the Bible. Um, and, you know, there's just so much in there that can be used against you. But one of the things you, you just uh, mentioned, uh, which is a big part of Fourth Amendment, is probable cause. Can you, can you explain that? <laughs> I could try. Um, <laughs> probable cause is defined as, this is the language the courts have used, articul- articulable facts or hard evidence that would lead a reasonable person to believe that a crime has been, is being, or will be committed and that the person under investigation is the one responsible for the crime. So an example of that would be to smell marijuana, to see it in plain view, um, to, to see a weapon in plain view. Um, it, it's a totality of circumstances, and it's an objective test. So what's interesting about the test is it has really nothing to do with the subjective Experience. It has to do with what a reasonable person, whoever that reasonable person is, a reasonable, reasonable police officer, would interpret as articulable facts or hard evidence of a crime. Right. So it's pretty easy in most cases for an officer to come up with probable cause. Right. Correct, because yeah. it's sort of a wishy-washy totality of the circumstances um, test. And I've seen them say, well, um, the person was, was moving furtively and... Um, they were acting shifty and reaching into their pockets, and so I formed the opinion that they were um, in, in possession of illegal drugs or possession for sale of illegal drugs. Right, and you know, especially with car searches. I mean, you know, obviously, Fourth Amendment protects more than just cars. It, it's your person, it's your home, um, as you said, your purse, your belongings, uh, and things. But car searches tend to, at least in my practice. Uh, be a big area uh, that the Fourth Amendment plays into, um, and you said the the plain view or uh, thing, and it's you know if they see anything through a car window um, that they can interpret as possibly being an illegal substance or weapon or things, it, it gives them the probable cause. It doesn't actually have to be what they thought it was once they have examined it. <laughs> That's right, and in fact, I was going to, you're, you're, you're very vulnerable in your car. A case recently came out um, that says the officer is, is basically, in the, in the olden days, if the officer pulled you over for something he believed to be illegal but was not, in, for instance, if he believed it was illegal just to have one license plate, um, which it is here, but and that was not the law, he was incorrect about the law, then the stop was regarded as improper, as an illegal detention. But now the the court has decided that even if the officer is wrong about the law, for instance, he pulled you over for something that isn't even a violation of the law, but he reasonably believed it to be a violation of the law, then any search thereafter of the car, um, assuming there was probable cause, would be legitimate. So... But the police officer doesn't even have to be right about the law in order to start the detention, which may lead to a search of your car. 
Right, and that law has changed recently. It used to be, you know, that if the officer was wrong, you know, he was wrong, and, and the search could be suppressed because, you know, the courts in the, and I forget the name of the case that was originally decided was, you know, we shouldn't be rewarding officers who don't know the law. You right. know. It was people. The old law was people be white. People be That's white. It. Right. Yeah. And so, the new law is Hindy, North Carolina, which says eh, they could be wrong as long as they have a reasonable uh, belief that it, the law is correct. Right. And, you know, uh, as we're talking about the uh, plain view, um, it's one of the reasons I, I, you know, kind of counsel clients is, you know, don't have your registration in your glove compartment or in your trunk or anywhere. Have it in the visor right above you. Have everything available right away for the officer when they get there. Because then you're not opening the glove compartment and possibly something being visible or the center console, which seems to be where everyone keeps everything, um, or worse yet, opening the trunk. Because now well, you just yeah. allow the officer into that, that area, at least for a visual check, which right. can lead to other things. Right. And I mean, don't get funny about handing over your driver's license. Just hand it over because they are permitted to search for identification once you refer, refuse to hand it over. Correct. Right. It, it's just such a such a complicated and uh, you know vast area. Um, I want to you know continue uh, discussing uh, probable cause and, and consensual uh, searches, uh, but we're going to take a short uh, little break here, and uh, when we get back, um, let's talk about uh, consent and what constitutes consent. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Have you been arrested? Is someone you love in a legal jam? Don't get advice from just anyone. Call the criminal defense experts at McDowell & Associates. Attorneys. McDowell & Associates has over 20 years of legal experience. The National Trial Lawyers Association named us one of the top 100 California criminal defense trial attorneys for two years in a row. We know that sometimes good people just make bad mistakes. We know the system, and we know how to fight for you. We know what the prosecutors will do. We know their weaknesses, and we'll do everything at our disposal to get you the best possible outcome. Your case will receive the personalized attention it deserves. McDowell & Associates, attorneys, has the experience and the skill to make sure you or the ones you love receive the best legal defense and strategy. Call 213-401-2322 or visit McDowellDefense.com. That's 213-401-2322 or McDowellDefense.com. Se habla espanol. When your future is on the line, your future is our business. Call us at 213-401-2322. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is your best legal defense with Lonnie McDowell. If you have a question for the host or guest, we're ready to take your call at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Be sure to tell the screener if you need to remain anonymous with your question. You may also send an email to radioshow 
at mcdowelldefense.com. Now, back to the show. Uh, welcome back. Uh, my guest today is a criminal defense attorney, Casey McBroom, and we're discussing the Fourth Amendment. And prior to uh, the commercial, we were uh, discussing uh, vehicle stops and searches. Um, so, Casey, there are different types of police contact, correct? That the law there defines. Are there. Go ahead. Sorry, I interrupt no. you. No, that was it. Uh, go ahead. There are three types of police contacts. Um, the first being a consensual contact, the second being an investigatory detention, and the third being an arrest. Um, and the consensual contact is what it sounds like, although I don't think in practice there is really a consensual contact with, with a police officer, unless you see them at the local donut shop and say, hey, officer, how you doing? I don't know that a detention on a street is typically consensual. Most of my clients um, don't, the hallmark of a consensual contact would be you feel free to leave or to terminate the conversation with the police officer. And most right. people who are in a contact with a police officer do not feel free to terminate that contact and walk away. Um, well, you know, it, it, it's funny because, you know, back in you know, law school and things, uh, you know, the, the ruling came down on that. And uh, Senator Dale O'Connor is the one who wrote the opinion. And, you know, it dealt with a passenger on a bus and, you know, two police officers got on fully armed, fully, you know, in, in police garb. And one was standing in, at the bus driver's seat, kind of blocking the en- entrance exit. Right. And the other officer was going down the the aisle and, like, feeling bags and, and things. And, you know, it was challenged. And the ruling was, well, a person in, you know, the the... The standard is the person, a reasonable person, has to feel that they can terminate contact and walk away. But they found in that instance that the person wasn't being detained because they were free to leave. And, you know, I I read that back in law school and was like, I wouldn't feel free to leave if there's an officer with a gun standing at the door and another one coming down the aisle. I mean, you know, I've. You know, back in the day, we rode buses, the aisles, you know, like a foot and a half, two feet wide. You have an officer there. What person felt free to leave? <laughs> right. And it does. It's a it's an objective test, but it's but it's not objective at all. Um, we we each have different experiences with law enforcement, depending on where we grew up, possibly depending on race. So what you're interpreting um, as non-consensual, the officer may be conter- interpreting as consensual. Um, well, but, yeah, if, if, if you've got an armed officer blocking a door, I, I don't think most people would find that that's a consensual contact with an officer or feel free to walk, go, excuse me, walk right past the officer and, and leave. Um, and most of my, um, when I was a public defender, a lot of my, um, it, you could be charged with being under the influence of um, a controlled substance. And a lot of them started with, the police report would say, I had a consensual contact with uh, Joe, you know, John Doe. Mm-hmm. And then during that contact, noticed he was exhibiting the signs of being under the influence, and then that would lead to a search, and that would lead to an arrest. Um, and every time the client would say, "Look, this was not a consensual contact." <laughs> right. Um, so, so that's yeah, that's that's the first type of police police contact. The second is called an investigatory detention, and and that is when you are not, that is when you are not free to leave. So that would be a non consensual detention by a police officer. Included in that would be 
a traffic stop for a traffic violation or, um, you know, if an officer uh, stops you on the street and has you sit down on the curb, tells you they're doing a, or starts asking you questions, that's typically an investigatory detention. The key right. is you can't leave and you can't end uh, the contact. You can't terminate the contact. Right. Now, uh, you're basically talking about what, what's uh, in legal violence, a Terry stop. That's a Terry stop, correct. Right. And, but there and are the limitations has, on that detention. I'm sorry. <laughs> the officer has to have a reasonable suspicion that a crime is being committed or about to be committed in order to, to conduct that type of detention. Correct. And it, and it has, to, has to have some, um, he has to have an articulable um, reason for that stop. Right. Can't be mere, you know, mere curiosity or a hunch that, that someone's <clears throat> up to no good. Right, and it can't and it can't be based on uh, you know things of just uh, random, let's say, age or race or or appearance alone. Right, which sounds great in theory, really does, but in practice, it's really, you know, I, I don't want to say every cop is doing it, but in practice, it's it's just not how it plays out. Yeah. Um, be, and and that kind of goes to what we were talking about, you know, being pulled over for minor track in, traffic infractions. You know, that might be the reason stated for the stop, but the real reason is there was racial profiling or some other type of profiling underlying right. the stop. Right, the, the, the old uh, driving while black or, or brown syndrome. Correct. Okay. Right. And the, re- but, uh, and the reason given is a reasonable belief that a law was being broken that isn't even a law. That's, that's where we're at with, with um, vehicle with stops. Right. Uh, but talking about uh, a Terry stop, um, there's a there's a great case this week. Uh, it's making all the headlines. It's uh, the James Bl- uh, Blake case. He was a tennis pro. Um, he was ostensibly arrested. Uh, I guess it was, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday in New York City by an undercover officer, and uh, they were just released the the tape um, either yesterday or today. I saw it this morning, and it's amazing uh, how how this even happened. You see Blake is standing at the entrance to a hotel. Um, there's a revolving door. There's a little column. And then there's, you know, other uh, entrance doors um, out front. And, you know, he's just standing there casually. You know, he has like one foot slightly raised, leaning against the wall. And it's hard to see, but he's looking down. He may be like with his, his cell phone um, texting or, or whatever. Um, and out of the camera range, you see this officer, un- plain clothes, white t-shirt, I think jeans or, or shorts or something, um, run through the frame and just really tackle him um, and just throw him to the ground. Now, to me, that's not uh, any of the, uh, <laughs> I mean, obviously it ended in an arrest, but it didn't involve a Terry stop. It didn't involve anything. So how, how is that even, well, it's not legal, but, but how do they even consider that to be legal? No, I'm looking at it right now, and you're absolutely right. There's not <laughs> even a discussion. He just runs over and tackles them. And uh, the state of the law is as follows. If, I mean, you can briefly detain someone and even pat them down. Um, if they're... If the suspect fits a description of a wanted person, um, or if in under the totality of the circumstances, um, 
you know, there there are furtive movements going on. The suspect is acting strangely. It would justify a brief detention um, and possibly a pat-down, but certainly not what happened here, which is just tackling someone out of the blue, cuffing them and hauling them off. Um, I don't think... I don't think anyone can argue with a straight face that under the totality of circumstances um, <laughs> that, <laughs> that there was any, you know, incriminating behavior whatsoever. I, as I understand it, um, I think the officer, it was a mistaken identity. Is that what you understand? Right. Uh, from uh, what I was reading is the officer thought uh, Blake looked like the brother of someone who is wanted for uh, credit card or check fraud. Okay. So, so, not so even, we're not even not talking even about a, a murder. <laughs> right. We're not talking about a violent or dangerous crime. So I would think at the, I mean, I would think the only thing that, that may have been uh, permissible is a brief investigatory stop just to, to check out the identity of the person. But that is absolutely insane. The video is crazy. Right. And, you know, one thing, um, you know, which, you know, I try to impress upon my clients or potential clients is, you know, when you're in that situation, that's not the time to start to try to assert your rights, to argue with the officer or to struggle. And I mean, the video clearly shows Blake did everything right. I mean, the officer knocked him to the ground, like out of the blue. Um, But he didn't struggle. He just kind of laid there. Um, And I know uh, Blake did an interview where he, he said he kept telling the officer, you know, I'm not going to struggle and whatever. Obviously, uh, unfortunately, there was no uh, audio with this video, or at least the one that I saw. But you just see Blake like, prone on the ground. He's not resisting. He puts his hands behind his back, and he's taken away. And, you know, that's what I kind of try to impress upon my clients is yeah. don't struggle. Well, you know, it, that's not the time. The officer really isn't going to listen to your argument. You know, we, you can deal with that later. <laughs> no, and oftentimes I've seen illegal detentions, what, what started as an illegal detention, turn into a charge of resisting arrest because uh, during the struggle, the officer got some type of abrasion or injury, and then my client gets, gets injured, and it turns into a, a resisting arrest charge, which, you know, had, had the, the client not... Um, resisted or fought uh, likely would have resulted in no case at all. Right, exactly. And, and I've had cases, you know, where uh, even when the person really isn't resisting and the officer is just putting their arms behind their back and yep. they get elbowed or, or something, all of a sudden it's resisting arrest, assault on a police officer. They, he didn't assault you. You were bending his arm and you got hit accidentally. Um, but they will try to throw on as many charges because if they lose the beginning, now they've got something else to go after. Right. If um, they know the detention was a little uh, questionable, oftentimes the resisting arrest charge comes into play. Right. Exactly. And, yeah. uh, you know, again, you're not, you're not going to win that argument. But I, I thought it was very interesting um, that uh, um, Bratton, uh, police chief, uh, originally defended the officer until the video came out. And now, uh, you know, from what I read in the news, uh, him and uh, Mayor de Blasio are going to apologize personally uh, to Blake for the actions of the officer. Um, yeah, videos so, are going to change the landscape here of, of how the top brass respond to these types of incidents. Because, 
I mean, it, as my days as a public defender, I mean, no one was going to believe the little guy that, that, right. that this was a completely unwarranted contact. But as we're seeing more and more, that's absolutely the case. Yeah, it's, it's given me some great arguments, um, you know, and especially since it's in the news so much now. Uh, you know, everyone has a cell phone. You know, there's a video camera at every hotel, convenience store, and things. And these things are now being, being captured um, more and more. And people are seeing, like, hey, you know, the police officer isn't always, you know, I don't want to say not truthful, but their take on it isn't exactly what's shown in the video. Um, That's so true. And I've had people, you know, you go to a dinner party or you talk to your family members and and say, hey, look, the the law enforcement is really overstepping their bounds. And they'll say, no, you're just jaded. That's that's not true. They're good guys. And and I think that what's happening now is is the public is seeing for themselves that indeed um, there are gross violations of our rights going on. It's it's not, and it's, (laughs) they're not... uh, few and far between. They're happening every day all the time. Right. And, and it's, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, a, you know, a bad officer. It's just sometimes the way an incident happens. You know, they don't, right. I, you know, I don't believe that every officer who, who does something wrong plan to do it and plans to violate your rights, but they can do it, still violate your rights accidentally, and they have violated your rights. So. That's right. I mean, th- decisions are made in, in a very short period of time under highly stressful situations. So I don't, I don't begrudge them that. Things happen. And, right. But there has to be a recourse in court for that. Um, and, right. and judges need to listen to um, and, and respect that, that there are violations and that there are consequences for that, which is the suppression of evidence. Right. And I think that maybe um, we're getting a little bit more traction in court because of um, so many of these Fourth Amendment violations being in the press right now. Right. Yeah. The, the public is becoming more and more, more aware, and it's, it's an easier argument for me to make these days. But uh, right. we're going to take another commercial break here, and when we come back, I've got a uh, couple of questions that came in through the email. Um, some of them are quite interesting, and uh, you know, we'll discuss those when we're back. All right? Great. Looking forward to it. Okay. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Have you been arrested? Is someone you love in a legal jam? Don't get advice from just anyone. Call the criminal defense experts at McDowell & Associates. Attorneys. McDowell & Associates has over 20 years of legal experience. The National Trial Lawyers Association named us one of the top 100 California criminal defense trial attorneys for two years in a row. We know that sometimes good people just make bad mistakes. We know the system, and we know how to fight for you. We know what the prosecutors will do. We know their weaknesses, and we'll do everything at our disposal to get you the best possible outcome. Your case will receive the personalized attention it deserves. McDowell and Associates, attorneys, has the experience and the skill to make sure you or the ones you love receive the best legal defense and strategy. Call 213-401-2322 or visit McDowellDefense.com. That's 213-401-2322 or McDowellDefense.com. 
Se habla español. When your future is on the line, your future is our business. Call us at 213-401-2322. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. This is your best legal defense with Lonnie McDowell. If you have a question for the host or guest, we're ready to take your call at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Be sure to tell the screener if you need to remain anonymous with your question. You may also send an email to radio show at mcdowelldefense.com. Now, back to the show. Oh, welcome back. This is your best legal defense. Uh, today we have guest Casey McBroom, uh, criminal law attorney, and we're discussing uh, Fourth Amendment rights. Uh, prior to the break, uh, we were discussing uh, consensual detentions and uh, investigatory detentions. And there's still a third type, uh, an arrest, so I want to kind of get into that. And then we're going to uh, take some uh, questions that have been emailed in uh, to me. So. Casey, there are different types of rules um, concerning an arrest, uh, meaning it's different for a misdemeanor than a felony and, and what constitutes a legal arrest, correct? Right. So um, in order for uh, law enforcement to uh, initiate an arrest for a misdemeanor offense, they have to have observed a crime whereas uh, they do not have to for a felony. They can base it off another person's observation in addition to the totality of the circumstances. So they can arrest a person if they have objective facts, um, basically indicating and demonstrating that a crime has taken place or is about to take place and that the person being detained is responsible. Uh, It's one step higher than reasonable suspicion. Right. So for a misdemeanor, they have to actually witness um, the offense. They do. There, there are um, circumstances, for instance, with a DUI where they may not have to observe the actual driving but would have to observe um, signs that driving had taken place. For instance, a hot engine, um, the person's under the influence and possibly a, a third party had witnessed the driving. There is an exception for that, for DUI. Okay. And, and that goes into one of the, the questions uh, we got um, from a uh, listener. Uh, the question is, is it probable cause to get pulled over for a DUI if the cop received a tip from a concerned citizen? Uh, he states that he recently got arrested for DUI. Uh, his back was at uh, 0.94. Um, he said that the officer uh, initially pulled him over, said he, uh, he was doing so because someone apparently called and claimed he was making crazy turns. He says he had dropped off a friend at um, a friend's apartment and was leaving, noticed the police cars at the entrance to the complex, and as soon as he exited, the officers made a U-turn, uh, followed him for less than a mile. Uh, the listener states that you know he was obeying all rules of the road. Uh, but as soon as he turned left at a stoplight, they decided to pull him over, and he was charged with unsafe turn and improper position uh, at the intersection. Um, so he was wondering uh, if uh, this was uh, just fabricated. Can his case be dismissed? Um, lots of 
things in the, going on in that question. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, it ha- I mean, I, I'm assuming this, that you've experienced this too, Lonnie, but um, uh, oftentimes the, the initial investigatory detention is initiated because of a call to 911 that somebody is driving erratically. Mm-hmm. And then um, from there, they can smell alcohol. From there, the person's pulled out of the car, given FSTs, um, and so on and so forth. Um, what I typically do in cases like that is I'll subpoena the 911 records, and I'll try to reach out to that third party. Because without, if that person is in the wind or unavailable or the tape is unavailable, then, then the prosecutor has a problem. Right. Um, in, in terms of going to trial. In terms of whether the stop is legitimate, the courts have found that, yes, that would be an, a legitimate stop, even though the officer didn't himself observe bad driving. He could right. do an investigatory detention based on a um, reliable report from a, a third party, which would be a 911 call, something like that. Right. And, and you, know, as, you know, basing it on you know, the reason is public safety, um, that it outweighs the intrusion into your your rights. Um, right. That second problem. Uh, you know, but, you know, part of the uh, the listener's uh, uh, thing is uh, that he was charged with unsafe turn and improper position. Which again, as, as I you know, told many of my clients, is you know when you're in a car, you're basically an open target for uh, any type of stop because the vehicle code just you know, makes everything basically uh, an offense somehow. Uh, you know, the unsafe turn or improper position, you know, you were too far away from the curb. Well, right. you know, the law is you're supposed to be as close to the curb when you're turning as possible. But what does that mean? A foot, three feet, you know, if you're still in the same lane. I mean, I've had DUI cases where, you know, they've come in and they say, well, the officer said, you know, I made a wide turn. And... <laughs> You know, when I've you know gone to you know a DMV hearing and questioned the officer, say, "Well, officer, you're saying there's a wide turn. This is what alerted you to my client. Uh, what do you consider a wide turn?" Well, you know, it was wider than, than normal, and you know, my question is, "Well, did he go outside the the, the lines? You know, did he cross over?" Uh, right. into the other lane, and no, but he was almost at the line, so that was too wide for the turn. And it's like, well, he was in his lane, though. And it's like, but courts have upheld it, even though you're in your lane. If you're too far away from the curb, it's too wide of a turn. Um, Right. I've seen weaving within the lane. Right. I said, okay, well, what exactly, what what is that? It's it's difficult to weave within the lane. I've seen um, a big one in San Bernardino was uh, the, the light over the license plate is out. Right. Which is nonsense because you can see the license plate if your headlights are on but right well, well but yeah, those, those, you're, you're a moving target in a car for sure and even if you're not moving you're, you're, you're you can be a target yeah. but i've had know, a client saying, said charged with dui arrested for dui he was asleep in a car that was turned off part right. legally right um you know but you were saying about weaving in the lane uh, the that used to be what they I'd see in the police reports, but now I'm seeing this this new term, which which I love because I saw it in one report I don't know maybe a couple of years ago, and then over time I just see it in more and more reports. So it has to be like the new catch wave is he was 
driving in a serpentine motion within the lane. Yeah. It's like, really? Serpentine? It's very I, dramatic. It, I know. It, 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 but it's, you know, it's now in a, like every report. It's like everyone's picked up the new buzzword. It's serpentine. They're not weaving. Um, you know, so, um, yeah. So anyway, so yes, they can, you know, the bottom line here is they can stop you. Um, if a concerned citizen calls in and you know the report is considered reliable uh, and do a detention and, and go from there. So um, my advice would be to hire a KCRI to represent you and uh, you know because you're going to need a good lawyer because it's not going to be dismissed just because of that. Right. Um, now uh, going back to arrest for a felony, now you need a, an arrest warrant, correct? Or not in all cases? Not in all cases. <laughs> um, <laughs> as as usual, um, if if you've if basically if there is a danger, it, or if you suspect that evidence is going to be destroyed, you can conduct the arrest. You can you can seize the person, um, and that is almost. I mean, you could basically fashion an excuse to do an arrest without a warrant for just about anything. Would you agree? <laughs> Yes, and I've seen some creative, uh, some creative stuff there. Um, yeah, you know, we we thought they had drugs, and you know, we heard water running. It's while well, they were in the shower. They didn't even know you were outside, but they break in the door because oh, they're destroying evidence. I mean, the drugs you know, are going to get flushed. Right. Exactly. Um, Papers are going to be, um, you know, shredded. Whatever right. it is. Yeah, uh, you know, again, it, it, it's so, so much pretextual things out there that will be upheld um, that, you know, the Fourth Amendment really has taken a blow over, you know, the last, uh, I don't know, what, 15, 20 years, would you say? I would. The only vict- recent victory, frankly, has been regarding cell phones because right. um, I've had clients t- prior to 2014, that, I think the case is Riley, um, the Supreme Court found that in order to search your cell phone, um, law enforcement needs to get a warrant. Uh, because what they were doing was just, you know, your phone is essentially a computer nowadays. And right. police officers were um, looking at everything, your text, your emails, everything, uh, without a warrant. In fact, I had a, a client that was arrested, and they came, the detective came in and said, hey, your phone keeps ringing. Can you give me the... Um, access code so I can just turn it off, change the settings. And then once he had the code, he looked through all his photos and all his texts and charged him with um, uh, gang enhancements because right. there were pictures of gang members and so on. Couldn't, can't do that anymore. And unless you consent, they need a warrant. Right. You know, that, that one and uh, the ruling on, on uh, being able to place GPS without a warrant. Right. Uh, I think I think are the two two biggest uh, you know things with within the Fourth Amendment wins for us defense attorneys, but you know I love the G, the GPS one because the court you know from from my reading and, and things of it was was kind of maybe leaning towards allowing it until you know the defense attorneys brought up well then they can place it on any one of your cars and all of a sudden it was like whoa you're right hey. <laughs> <laughs> no, you need a warrant. I don't want a GPS on my car. Uh, I, but I thought that was that was kind of funny. When, when you bring it home to the court, uh, right. when, when I'm talking about the Supreme Court, you know, it's a, oh, right, we're regular citizens too at times. So 
Right, uh, and we don't need Big Brother knowing where we are every five Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, it would be interesting to know where some of our Supreme Court justices go, I think. Would be. Um, exactly. I know, I, I'm still searching Ashley Madison. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I haven't found any yet, but I, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still waiting. Yeah, that, that'll be the, the thing. Wouldn't um, be surprised to see some uh, .gov uh, email addresses there. Well, there are. There's a lot of .gov. There's a lot of military email addresses, yep. and now now there's a, a big um, you know investigation into the military, um, and you know going through the addresses and things. You know, there's uh, senators and you know their aides and things are now uh, under investigation. Uh, you know, of course, everyone's going to be. I was hacked. I was hacked. It's not I me. Yeah. So uh, yeah, you know, and I think some laws are going to change because of that. And again, uh, you know, because you know, lawmakers finally, uh, you know, are caught, you know, and realize they're just as human as everyone else, and you know, right. some protections need to be be out there. Yeah. Um, Maybe we'll see a, a ramping up. I mean, they've chipped and chipped and chipped away at it, uh, our Fourth Amendment rights, and maybe we'll see a little bit. Uh, you know, right. maybe yeah, taking a couple steps forward. Right, because they, they got stronger during the war years. And, uh, you know, a lot of protections came down. And as you said, they've just chipped and chipped away at it, giving more and more exceptions to the point where, I, you know, it almost doesn't exist anymore other than uh, on a historical document. Um, you know, especially for, you know, going in. You know, into court and trying to argue these things. Judges are constantly, oh, no, there's no violation. Oh, it was reasonable for the officer to think that. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's getting harder and harder. Um, we do have some other questions uh, regarding the Fourth Amendment that I want to get to. Uh, we are going to take another short break here. Uh, and when we come back, uh, I have a question about a canine uh, um, investigation and a stop. And uh, also an obstructed plate. So uh, when we get back, uh, let's talk about those. Great. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Have you been arrested? Is someone you love in a legal jam? Don't get advice from just anyone. Call the criminal defense experts at McDowell & Associates. Attorneys. McDowell & Associates has over 20 years of legal experience. The National Trial Lawyers Association named us one of the top 100 California criminal defense trial attorneys for two years in a row. We know that sometimes good people just make bad mistakes. We know the system and we know how to fight for you. We know what the prosecutors will do, we know their weaknesses, and we'll do everything at our disposal to get you the best possible outcome. Your case will receive the personalized attention it deserves. McDowell & Associates, attorneys, has the experience and the skill to make sure you or the ones you love receive the best legal defense and strategy. Call 213-401-2322 or visit mcdowelldefense.com. That's 213-401-2322 or mcdowelldefense.com. Se habla espanol. When your future is on the line, your future is our business. Call us at 213-401-2322. 
stimulating talk. It gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. This is your best legal defense with Lonnie McDowell. If you have a question for the host or guest, we're ready to take your call at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Be sure to tell the screener if you need to remain anonymous with your question. You may also send an email to radio show at mcdowelldefense.com. Now, back to the show. And welcome back. Um, here with uh, Casey McBroom, a criminal defense attorney, and we've been discussing your uh, rights uh, in regard to Fourth Amendment and searches and seizures. Um, I want to get to a couple of couple more questions, uh, Casey. Um, so here's one. It's um, from a listener. Uh, it says the CHP, <coughs> excuse me, requested to pull over a friend's vehicle um, on a DEA tip. Um, it seems the CHP used a canine unit to conduct a sniff of the vehicle, um, but the dog never alerted uh, to the officers. Uh, but the officers searched the car anyway, and they want to know if, uh, since the, the dog did not smell drugs within the car, uh, didn't alert, um, would the officers still be allowed to, to search the car since, I guess, what he's trying to get at, reading his question, is that the suspicion for the stop was drugs that dogged into alert. So wouldn't that dispel the suspicion, making it an illegal search? Right. And the question would be, did the officers otherwise have probable cause to search the car based on the tip? And the way you evaluate the tip is, was it, a, you know, who, who made the tip? Um, is it credible? Uh, what, were certain... Uh, factors of the tip corroborated, like type of car, identity of the driver, things of that nature. And so the way to challenge a stop like this would be to have um, what's called a 1538.5 hearing, um, meaning to challenge the seizure based on a lack of probable cause. And what you would do is you would file a motion to... um, get the identity of the tipster um, to see whether it was reliable and to see whether the cops appropriately uh, obtained corroborating facts to allow them to go ahead and search the car despite the, the canine not alerting. Right. And there not being, uh, you know, other, other items such as a plain view, a smell, observing, uh, for instance, if the drivers appeared to be under the influence, stuff, things of that nature. Right, but, and I think what, what uh, the... the questioner is getting at is, uh, okay, there was a tip. Uh, let's say they had the right car, the, the right person. Um, they were going to be leaving X location around this time uh-huh. and driving down this road. And they used all that to stop the car. But now they have a dog, a canine, you know, who doesn't alert. So doesn't that invalidate the, the tipster's information and should have ended the search there? I mean, that would probably be the argument I would take, I, you know, with the courts, I'm not quite sure how far it would go. But I mean, I think that would be my argument is the tip right then and there, the officer should have known the tip was not valid uh, and therefore right. the consent would be illegal. Right. 
the, the, then the reliability of the tip is, is thrown into question. Right. And, and the, our, our argument would be in court that at that point you can't rely on that information anymore. If, there, if the canine is not alerting, that there are not drugs in the vehicle. Right. Uh, at least according to the canine. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, um, and therefore, it, the, the, the search should have ended. A, a, a detention, an investigatory con- detention, should only last as long um, as it should take to complete that investigation. So right. I would also argue it was a pro- prolonged detention, unduly prolonged. Right. Yeah, they can't wait three hours to get arrest. the dog there. <laughs> Um, you know, it has to be right. within a reasonable amount of time uh, that that detention takes place. Um, another question that, that kind of goes right, right into that one is, um, I'm just trying to summarize some of this, uh, is the probable cause statement uh, in his criminal case states that the information for the summary was provided by an alleged victim. Uh, person states that the victim does not exist. The name of this person and statements made by the person uh, he claims were fabricated by the arresting officers. Uh, therefore, was the initial stop, search, and seizure that led to his charges of possession, uh, felon in possession of a firearm, uh, did that constitute an illegal stop? So the t- are you understanding it as the tip was fabricated? Oh yeah, I mean his 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 thing is is saying that uh, from what I'm getting from the question is the officer stopped him um, and told him that uh, a victim uh, had given them the information a tip, and it turns out uh, at least the, the claim is that this victim doesn't exist um, that this the name of the person in the statements uh, you know don't exist. Um, so therefore, that it had to be fabricated at some point, um, and does that uh, constitute uh, an illegal uh, stop? Using Certainly that sounds like it. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I would like to know how how he knows the victim doesn't exist. I mean, obviously, I, I guess maybe I, this has already been litigated, so his defense attorney would have uh, you know subpoenaed the information on who the tipster was, um, but. I mean, sometimes these tips are anonymous. Um, so how does, you know, explain how does that work in that case? If, if the tip is anonymous, but the information that they're given, again, type of car, the person, what they're wearing, where they're going, you know, where they'd be driving, even if the, the tip is anonymous, is there enough there to still validate the stop? It's on a case-by-case basis. So typically the test is, can is the statement reliable? The way you t- test whether a statement is reliable is whether the things the tipster said are going to happen are go- are happening, and, right. and you alluded to that earlier, which is you know uh, the person um, Joe Smith is going to leave this location. He's going to take this route. He's going to drive to this location. He's going to park. He's going to go inside. This usually happens with drug t- transactions. Um, then then yeah, it's it's a reliable tip, and and you could base an investigatory detention on it. Um, so it's really, it's a case-specific analysis um, in, in all cases, including uh, an anonymous tipster. Right. And, you know, even, I've seen even in, in searches that involve a warrant, I had a guy um, whose home was searched, but I found the warrant to be 
problematic as it included statements that were not true, that I believed the, the officers had either included in their sort of, um, not necessarily, you know, purposely lying, but kind of carelessly and maybe negligently throwing statements in there that, that weren't true. Um, so that happens in both warrants, you know, searches based on a warrant and warrantless searches. And, and you can challenge the officers. Right. And, and you know, it, a lot of times I don't, I don't feel that, um, or I try to believe uh, that officers don't necessarily do these uh, things, fabricate um, statements purposely. But as no. I try to explain to clients, it's, you know, they, they'll call and say, well, this is what happened. And I'll say, well, based on what you're telling me, this is kind of how I see it. But once I get the discovery and the police report, I want to warn you that the police report is going to be a little different. And it's not necessarily that the officer is making things up, but they're writing it with a slant to, you know, make their case. As when we write something, we're writing it with our slant to make our case. You know, you're making an argument. So, you know, a lot of times I think that's what comes into play is they're writing from a certain perspective and we're writing from a certain perspective and they right. don't always match. And they're doing it in real time and often with a sense of urgency. If they have a victim saying this, is, this person's dangerous and possesses weapons, um, right. they're, they're in a different mindset while they're drafting that warrant. Right, exactly. And, you know, it's such a, it's such a vast area and, and there's just so many ins and outs uh, that we could go on for, for hours on this. Uh, however, we are just almost out of time. Uh, went by really quick. Uh, I thank you for coming on and, uh, you know, sharing your expertise with us. And I hope you'll come back and uh, we can get uh, a little bit more in-depth into different areas because, as I said, there are uh, a lot of different uh, ins and outs here. Oh, I would love to, and thank you so much for having me on. It was quite an honor, Lonnie. Thank you. Oh, thanks. I'm glad, I'm glad you could, could make it. Uh, anyway, uh, next week our guest is, uh, again, noted uh, private investigator James Allard. Um, as some of our listeners will remember, he was my first guest a couple of weeks ago when we started the show. And uh, James and I will be uh, speaking about... Uh, the uh, CSI effect, myth and reality. We're doing kind of a continuing series. Uh, last week we had on uh, DNA uh, expert uh, Susanna Ryan talking about how uh, you know, CSI on television and DNA analysis in reality are quite different. Uh, next week, James and I are going to be discussing uh, actual crime scene investigation and what officers should be doing, what they're not doing, and some of the myths created by the TV dramatizations of crime scene investigations. So, um, as always, your best legal defense is to know your rights. And thank you for listening, and we will uh, talk to you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to your best legal defense. Lonnie McDowell invites you to join him along with another guest expert next Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until then, enjoy the rest of your weekend and stay safe.